Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. And what's interesting about this last section of Romans is that it's not so much about doctrine or theology so much, but it's about practical ministry. Real people on a real mission in the first century. And so we don't read of eschatology and ecclesiology, justification, sanctification, original sin, or anything like that. And instead, we read about things like Paul giving out his travel itinerary, which is pretty exciting, right? Saying, I want to come cruise with you guys in Rome on my way to Spain so that we can be mutually encouraged. We also see things like prayer requests at the very end of the chapter. Paul asking for the saints in Rome to pray for him. The Apostle Paul lifting up a prayer request. And then chapter 16, Paul starts mentioning people by name, and he mentions like 30 different names. I don't know how Paul is going to preach on that, but good luck to you, brother. But we apparently find out that Paul knew a guy named Rufus in Rome. And I don't know how you can't love the name Rufus, who Paul calls a choice man in the Lord. And so if you're looking for a baby name, Rufus is already anointed, eternally recorded in God's word as a choicey man, right? Romans 16, 13 is a reference for that. I didn't make it up. And probably the biggest plot twist of the entire book of Romans comes at the very end of chapter 16, where we find out that Paul did not even physically write this letter, but some guy named Tertyrus who was with him. And so this guy gets on the mic, so to speak, and mentions himself in first person and says, in Romans 16, 22, I, Tertius, who writes this letter, greet you in the Lord. And the funny thing is, I don't even know if Paul told him to say that, but either way, his name is dropped in the Bible. And so really, all that to say that this part of Romans, out of the theological realm into the practical realm, is such a reminder that what we hold is a real letter about real people on a real mission. And so these aren't just words and names on a page, but theology that's lived out by people in their communities. And so let's take a look at it, verses 8, uh, 14 through 24, and then we'll pray and get into it. Verse 14 says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points to remind you again because of the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. uh, Verse 17 says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. For I would not presume to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, and the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all around as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who have no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Verse 22. For this reason, I have often been prevented coming to you, but now with no 
place further to go in these regions, and since I have longed to come for you many years, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing. And so let's pray. God, we ask that you would show us some truths from these words that um, really just change the way we live this place. God, I just pray that the power of the Spirit would just fall now, and you would give us a sense of our calling as individuals all across this room, and you would just help me to get out of the way, and that you would be magnified through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so when we come to a text like this, it's interesting because we get a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look into the Apostle Paul's life. And so what we get to see is his ambition and his calling. And the reality is, this is kind of where we're going with the whole thing, the reality is the Apostle Paul's calling is not my calling, and your calling is not my calling, and my calling is not your calling, and our calling was not the Apostle Paul's calling. Because God has wired each of us uniquely with such unique gifts, and therefore we have different callings represented all across this room. Do you guys believe that you have callings today at all? Good, because we all do. And that, yes, we all have like a a big capital M mission as the church to collectively, as the church, reveal Jesus to the world. But the ways in which God has wired each of us to do that is as different as every fingerprint in this room. And so, you will be able to reach a person that I can't, and vice versa, or you will be anointed to lead or fulfill a certain ministry that I'm not, all because of the way that God has uniquely made each person. Uh, Paul would put it this way in the book of Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Another translation says we are God's masterpiece, meaning that God has made us in such a way to walk in good works designed for us to fulfill because the way we are uniquely made. That can include your unique experiences, your raw talents, your spiritual giftings, your education, even the bad things that have happened in your life. God can use that for his glory, your suffering, even your mistakes, all for the purpose of walking in specific things that God has ordained before you were even born. Like God has been grooming you before you even knew him. And so just trip out on the fact that God has weaved your life together in such a way that includes the whole of your life to walk in good works that he has set up. Like this thing is rigged, right? Like this is the definition of being set up for success. And so when we hear church lingo, like, man, that girl or that gal is anointed, what we're really saying is that person is walking in their calling. And so in light of all that, I want to show you three things from our text today that we can draw from Paul's life to give us each individually a sense of mission in whatever way God has uniquely made you. Sound good? Before we go there, we have to mention the bigger picture because we have to remind ourselves continually that we are, as a church, as Christians, a sent people. This is crucial for the rest of the message. To be a Christian is to be a missional person. The name of this expression of God's church is called the mission. And so if any church should ever be on mission, which should be all churches, it should definitely be this church. And in fact, this church was named the mission so that we would be accountable to that biblical reality. And since we are a missional people, that means that every single person in this room has a calling. And so, 
To go through this life without a keen sense of mission is simply foreign to the Bible and even God's own identity. Because by God's very nature, He is a missional God, right? You'll remember from the gospel study we did that we need to look no further than the, the person of Jesus, who the book of Hebrews calls the very expression of God's nature. And the gospels teach us, or the gospel message teaches us, that God left heaven came to earth on a mission to save sinners. By God's very nature, he is a missional God. And not only that, this is the really crazy thing, but towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he prayed this to the Father. Just as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And so in a very strong sense, to be Christian is to be sent. And that's why the book of Acts starts off by stating that what happened in the Gospels was merely the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And those verbs, do and teach, are the imperfect tense in Greek, which means it's an ongoing thing. Like those are the things that Jesus only started. And so then it is Jesus who is still working through the church. And so to be in Christ is to be called on mission, right? And so the church in Acts and every subsequent generation are to join God in whatever he is doing in the world right now where you're at. Jonathan Edwards would put it this way. The task of every generation is to discover the direction in which the sovereign redeemer is moving and then move in that direction. And so the point is, we just don't want to do stuff, right? Like we just don't want to go out there and do stuff But we want to do what God is doing in whatever way God has called each of us individually in this room. And so I want to look at three points from our text. Um, What we're going to talk about are this. Calling, intentionality, and anointing. Calling, intentionality, and anointing. The acronym is CIA. And I wasn't trying to make it CIA, but that's where it landed. But either way, it just sounds more missional, right? CIA. And so number one. Do you know your calling? That's the place we have to start. Do you know your calling? There's not a person in this room that does not have a calling. And we're going to unpack a little bit of what that means later. Number two, do you have a God passion intentionality? Are you intentional within your calling? Are you intentional about chasing after ministry? Do you only depend on divine appointments, so to speak, Or do you wake up with a sense of intentionality? And that's not to say that ministry becomes this mechanical sort of deal. But at the same time, mission requires some level of intentionality. In the same way that a missionary wakes up in a foreign land, it's very intentional about every detail of mission is the same way that a Christian should approach ministry in their own communities. And number three, when we know our calling and we're intentional about it, our life will be anointed. That's what this message is called, the anointed life. It'll be supernatural. Our, our ministry will be done in the power of the Spirit. And so life will be less monotonous and more vibrant because we're walking with what God has called us to do. Because oftentimes I think we want to do Christianity in our own way and on our own terms, but that is to neglect our calling and therefore forfeit the anointed life. And so in light of all that, The first note we want to make about calling is that we do not choose our calling, but God chooses the calling. One is anointed 
and the other is not. Verse 15 and 16, Paul says this, that he has written very boldly to these guys because of the grace that was given to him by God for him to be a minister to the Gentiles. And when you read through the New Testament, Paul is always hearkening back to his calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he always connects, this is key, he always connects his calling to the very grace that God called and empowered him to do it with. I want to highlight this with a, a verse from 1 Corinthians. Paul put it like this in another place. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And then verse 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. We're going to come back to that idea. But I labored even more hard than all of them, yet not I, but the grace that God gave me. And so, here's the key. Paul didn't go do some deal that he wanted to do, but instead he was specifically called by God and empowered for a certain task to walk in, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so what we can't miss is that this was God's calling. And God's grace empowered him to do this very thing. And so Paul was not successful in ministry because he was awesome within himself, but instead because it was because God's grace empowered a calling and therefore it was anointed. And we see him say basically the same thing in verses 17 and 18 in your text. He says, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me. Which is another way of saying that is Jesus who is still working through the church. And so all glory and all credit that comes from our lives must be deferred to Jesus. As we are being merely faithful with the callings that he's given us by his grace. And with that, we move away from that for a second. With that, the second point we can make about calling is that a calling doesn't always happen in the four walls of the church, right? It's not always something that happens here. We need to think creatively. In fact, I would argue that more than often a calling will take place in the world, right? Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 4 how God gives the church shepherds and teachers to build up the saints to go do the work of the ministry, which happens where? In the real world. And so a lot of this goes back to Ephesians chapter 2 that informs us we are God's masterpiece, which very much includes how you were shaped before you even knew Jesus. Is that a crazy thing? And we see this in Paul's life because his calling included how he was shaped as a person before he knew Jesus that directly affected his own calling. We know that he was well-versed in the scriptures as a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, He was well-educated in the Hellenistic culture. He was from the influential city of Tarsus. He was a tent maker, so he was free to go from place to place and basically be supported on his trade. But the point is this, that these things directly played into his calling. Paul used that Roman citizenship all the time. It was like his get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Like he used that thing to the utmost. His Hellenistic culture background basically helped him dialogue with the Gentiles. He knew the scriptures so well that when he met Jesus, he knew they undeniably pointed to him. And he was probably, side note, probably a super good tent maker that gave some cash flow for bread. And so God 
had prepared Paul in such a way before he even knew Jesus to fulfill his calling directly. And so in light of that, I think sometimes we get hung up and think that our calling is some ethereal thing that's off in the distant future, when oftentimes our calling is right in front of us. There's no doubt, maybe just because of the location of this church, there's no doubt in my mind that some of you guys are clearly called to the surf community. And God wants to use the whole of your life in that calling. Some of you have military callings. Some of you are amazing artists and craftsmen. Some of you are teachers, medical professionals, parents pouring into children, and a million other things that I did not mention that are all as just as much callings as a pastor, preacher, or a worship leader. And that's not a cliche. That is a biblical reality, which means then our callings are not something in the future but our callings are right now. And a caveat. There's always a caveat, right? The caveat with that is that our calling may not always be the same. And for some of you guys, your tent making is merely a means to fuel another thing that God is putting in your heart to do. And so whatever your calling may be, the point is this. It is today. God has infused your life, the whole of it, before and after Jesus to basically walk in a calling that he has infused your life to do with his grace. And this leads to the second point. And this is probably the most important point of the whole sermon because the first half has to do with calling. Second half has to do with anointing. Those are God things. The middle thing is the you thing. And the second point is intentionality. Because the reality is we can truly know our calling and never be intentional about living it out. Because not will God only use how he shaped you before you knew him, but he also gives us new desires and spiritual gifts that we never had before. But we have to meet God with some level of intentionality. As Paul said earlier, God's grace, this is such a trippy verse, God's grace toward him did not prove vain, but he labored harder than all the other apostles. Which is a wild thought, that God's grace in our lives could be proven vain because of X, Y, or Z. And we probably even know people who are radically gifted and called to certain things, and for whatever reason, they just shelf it or leave it on the table. And it's so tragic because it's potential and God's grace in that person that's going dormant in vain. And on the contrary, in Paul's life, he says that God's grace did not prove vain. Like dogmatically says, God's grace in my life did not prove vain. And then he basically goes on to smack talk those who would discredit his ministry. And so to say that Paul was intentional about ministry and God's grace in him would be a massive understatement. And so Paul didn't wait for ministry to happen to him, but he went looking for it. Paul didn't wait for divine appointments, but he went looking for ministry. In fact, you'll you'll notice in verse 19 in your Bible that he preached the gospel fully from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And not only that, but verse 23 adds on to it, and he says, there were no places left for him to go in these regions. And not only that, but down in verse 24, he says, I'm going to briefly stop by Rome on my way to Spain. He basically just said, I conquered Asia Minor with the gospel, and now I'm heading to Spain to take down Europe. Like, this guy was absolutely on fire. And we have a map because I know that we love pictures. I love pictures. This is a picture of basically the area that he conquered. Like, who does that, right? That's crazy. And Spain's not even on the map because Paul was off the map for the Lord. 
And so suffice it to say, sorry, that was so corny. Suffice it to say that Paul not only knew his calling, but he was intentional about living it out. He didn't wait for ministry to happen to him, but instead he was active and intentional about fulfilling what God called him to do. And so in light of all that, I think that every person in this room has their own Jerusalem to Illyricum type ministries wherever you are in the community. Here's a little bit of a story from my own life. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was all super excited to do any kind of ministry. And during this time, I worked at the Coast Guard Air Station on Barber's Point. And typically, the Coast Guard was so awesome. <laughs> typically, we would get out early on Friday nights if we didn't have too many missions going out. And I literally remember calling an old pastor named Butch. A lot of you guys probably know Butch, right? I remember calling Butch on my way to work on one of these Friday evenings to ask him if there's any ministry stuff going on, because I was all fired up, all things Jesus. Like, I was out of my mind. My wife used to call me the zealot. And I'm not really sure what I was expecting that happens at the mission on a Friday night, but I had visions of Butch and I having this Acts sort of episode down in Waikiki where we're just going to preach the gospel and people were going to say it, get saved, and then we're just going to go baptize them in the alawai on the spot just to make sure they were really committed, right? Like if you're getting baptized in the alawai, you're a Jesus follower for life. And so I get Butch on the phone. I'm so, stu- I'm, I'm psyching. I've been a Christian for three weeks probably. The, basically the guy that has, you know, a whole bunch of zeal but no knowledge, right? Probably didn't, couldn't even articulate the gospel at the time. Anyways, I get, I get Butch on the phone, and he just says, buddy, you know, like in his classic Butch voice. And he just basically tells me there was nothing going on. And I was like, dude, what, what are you talking about? Like, we got to do God's kingdom stuff. Poor guy probably just wanted to hang out with his family, and I hassled the guy for a minute. But he told me about this rad ministry called the River of Life Mission and told me how I can probably get involved there that Friday night. And so that became the plan. And so I get to work, and I find out that pretty much everybody's going to leave early except for maybe two people that needed to stay back and recover the helicopter. And so the odds felt pretty good that I was going to be sovereignly chose by the Lord because I felt as though he had need of me elsewhere. And so it came time to draw straws, and we literally drew straws to see who would go and who would stay. It was like this, I don't know, unbiblical version of casting lots, I guess. And lo and behold, I was one of the two guys of like 15 to get the short straw. And I was so confused because I was all anxious and to go do God's work because I thought for sure, like God needed me out there. And so to make a long story short, God had me right where he wanted me with that other person that night so that I could be on mission right where I was at. And the cool thing is I ended up sharing the gospel with that person that night and having a really good conversation about their own issues with religion. And it was a really fruitful time. And later on around midnight when I was driving home, I had this really cool moment in the Lord because he showed me that my calling was that air station for that season. And so I got fired up. I made a personal goal to share the gospel with every single person at that air station. And me and a few people even got a lunchtime Bible study approved through the command that was mildly successful at best because none of us knew how to teach the Bible, but we were on fire and intentional about ministry. 
And so we had like our own Jerusalem to Illyricum type ministry as we shared the gospel with our fellow helicopter crew guys. And then we took down the C-130 guys. And then we went out to the supply people, the cafeteria people, the gate guards, and so on and so on. Until it got to the point in a very real way that we could go no further in those regions. Like it felt like that. Like we have conquered this little base. And it was so fun to wake up with this sense of mission and bringing God's kingdom to that little base instead of surviving another day of work. And so the reality is, God has given all of us an area of responsibility. God has given all of us a calling to be ambassadors right where we are right now that is unique to who you are. But we have to view it through the lens of mission. And I think a lot of us know that, right? Like that's biblical 101. But for some reason, we have such a hard time being intentional about it. And so we see this idea of calling and intentionality come together in verse 20. Take a look at it. He says this in verse 20. I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So what does that mean? Paul's custom was to plant churches in populated and influential cities where the gospel had not yet been proclaimed. And then from there, he would hand over the keys. He would hand over the reins for those churches to reach the surrounding communities. And then he would move on and check back in on occasion to see how things were going. Now, all that to say, obviously, it's not wrong to build on another foundation. As long as the foundation is Christ, because this is exactly what Paul trained his other leaders to do. He told Timothy to do this very thing in Ephesus. He told Titus to do this very thing in Crete, to appoint elders in these areas where the foundation of Christ had clearly been laid. And so it's not wrong to build on another foundation. But for Paul, this is the point, this was not his calling. His calling was to take the gospel into new territory, and he had to stay intentional about it. Are you guys tracking? In fact, we see this little episode in Acts chapter 20, where the Ephesian elders are basically holding on to Paul, crying, begging him to stay in their area and do ministry with them, which would have been a cool thing. He could have made tents, did ministry, had a nice little life along the shore, but that was not Paul's calling. That's not where the anointing was. And I think sometimes we want to chase after our own thing, right, and ask God to anoint it, don't we? But it works the other way around, doesn't it? Like we want to chase after this thing and say, God, just bless my plans, anoint it. And God's saying, hey, I'm doing a work over here. Do you want to be a part of it? Yes or no? And so we always do like a retrospect, anoint it, God. But God's saying, I'm not doing that thing right now. And so in light of that, we see in verse 21 that Paul quotes, this is so cool. He, pull, he quotes Isaiah 52, 15, that reveals how God's hand was directly on his calling. And he says this in verse 21, they who had no news of him shall see and they who have not heard shall understand. You guys catch that? Paul is showing up to places where people literally have no knowledge of Jesus, and they're getting saved because God did the work way before Paul got there. One path was anointed, and the other path isn't. He could have had a nice long life in Ephesus, but God's saying, go this way, and your life will be anointed. He had a calling, he was intentional, and therefore, point number three, it was anointed. When we are intentional about our calling, it will be anointed. We will walk in the power of the Spirit. And just to give a quick backdrop on that, 
The idea of anointing stems from the Old Testament. It represented an outward sign of God empowering an individual for a certain task, for a certain calling. And so oftentimes, God would send a prophet to anoint an individual with oil to represent God's empowering hand upon that individual for a certain task. And so it's all over the place. We see Moses, right, anointing Aaron with oil for the task of being priest. We see Samuel anointing David with oil for the task of being king. And so the point is, there there wasn't anything amazing about the oil, but it was emblematic of God's Spirit being upon a person for a specific task. It was a symbol of God's empowerment. And so think about this. You leave this place, some guy runs up to you and anoints your head with oil and says you are the mayor of Hawaii. That would literally mean nothing, right? Because why? That guy has no power or authority to do that. But on the other hand, if the Spirit of God anoints you to do something, it means absolutely everything because the Spirit has all authority and all power. And so I think as church folk, we need to get away from this idea that being anointed is for a certain few hyper-spiritual people, but it's for anyone who is intentional about walking in their calling. And so in light of that, Paul just wasn't interested in doing anything, but instead he wanted to do what God called him to do. Does this resonate with anybody? And so you'll notice there in verse 19, because I want to do my own thing all the time. And so you'll notice in verse 19 that he was doing ministry in the power of the Spirit. And the truth is, doing ministry in the power of the Spirit is the only kind of ministry that we want to be a part of. Because I firmly believe that God anoints his people, every person in here, with the power of the Spirit to fulfill their God-given calling. And when the anointing is on, people take notice. Like when you've got a heavy anointing on somebody, people take notice. And we're seeing this in pockets of our church right now. Just to give you guys a couple examples to make this all more tangible. Uh, Tammy and her crew over at the Good News Club is an anointed work. Or Dennis and his crew over at Celebrate Recovery is an anointed work. The fruit within those ministries is absolutely undeniable. And it's not because Tammy and Dennis are amazing, although they are, you are amazing, Tammy, but it's because they are embracing a calling for a season and they're being intentional about it. Those ministries just didn't come together overnight. And so when you have those things, you have a calling and you have intentionality. What God does is he pours out his anointing with power. And I believe personally that God wants to do way more of that all across this church as we are faithful in what God has called each of us to do. Does anybody want the anointed life? All right, good, I love it. I hate it when people ask questions up here because I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to say anything. And so the question goes back to where we started, right? Let's just kind of close this down. The question goes back to where we started. Are you individually on mission today? Are you on, are you on mission today? Like wherever you are, do you, are you going to work or are you going to a mission field? Wherever God has called us, do you have the Jerusalem to Illyricum type drive? Do you wake up with a sense of mission? Because it should be wired in our DNA as the sons and daughters of a missional king. And so I'll close with this and we'll be done because I love how Paul communicates this whole sermon, super anointed, this whole sermon in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talks about how our very lives as they're lived on mission manifests 
this sweet aroma of Christ to those who are being saved in every place that we faithfully live into our calling. And so he puts it like this. But thanks be to God, who always puts us on display in Christ, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And the word that Paul uses for aroma is the same word that the Septuagint, the Old Testament Greek, uses to describe a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. It had this amazing aroma that rose up to heaven, and it was pleasing to God. And I love that aroma-type language because I have this certain neighbor who is always barbecuing with only kiave wood. And when the wind is blowing in a certain direction, I can smell, which is all the time, I can smell this sweet aroma of amazing barbecue that just naturally draws me over to his house. It's Sergio, the guy in the back of the Brazilian barbecue master. Yeah, we love it. And Paul is saying that you, Christian, do the same thing when you intentionally live out your calling. It's already anointed. You are his masterpiece created for good works. You put off an aroma of life when you, what? Intentionally walk it out. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 16 of that same chapter, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is obviously nobody. Not a single person in here is sufficient for these things. But the point is this. God calls us. He qualifies us by his grace and then sends us out to live the anointed life. The question is, will you be intentional about your calling? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we move into a time of worship, that you would remind us of our callings if you've spoken those things a long time ago. Pray for other scenarios in the room that you would confirm the calling that you've already called us into. And God, I pray if there's anyone here confused about what they're supposed to be doing, that they would seek out prayer from a brother or sister next to them and say, hey, I don't... I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And we just ask, God, that you would minister here in a really powerful and tangible way so that every person here would not leave knowing what they should not or should be doing. Like We want to do the ministry that's by the power of the Spirit. God, we want the anointed life. We want to have vibrancy. No more monotony, God. We want to live into you. And so, God, help us to bring your kingdom wherever we may be work or with our kids, God, help us to see that we can tangibly bring the kingdom of God through our lives, through the aroma of our intentionality. And so, God, we pray that you would minister to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.